We're going to continue in our series this morning. Let us pray, and we'll dive right into the word. Father, thank you for this family. Thank you for those watching online, those uh, today who couldn't make it uh, for whatever reason it may be. Thank you that your presence is omnipresent. Thank you that you're with each and every one of us. And we look to your word today, God, for hope, for guidance, for strength. Most importantly, though, for intimacy with you. And as we open up the scriptures and we, we share things and we dwell on things, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be who you are to each and every one of my friends here today. May you bring a word individually. May you strengthen. May you comfort. May you inspire here in the next moments that we have as we look to you. Lead us now, we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So being on social media, internet, and so forth, I love when I come across the stories where good-hearted people rescue animals. There's something that really breaks my heart when I see an animal suffering and somebody comes to the aid and restores the faith in humanity and gets that animal to trust the humans again. And I saw a viral video a few months back about a little Russian boy who was leaving school and on his way home from school, he saw a drainage ditch. And in that was a very large sheep that had gotten stuck. And this little boy did everything he could to get that, that sheep out, but he couldn't. So he went home and told his mom about the situation. She says, okay, well, let me go help you. So they came together and she decided to film it because she wanted to inspire others that when you see an animal in need, you don't just walk by like everybody else, you help that animal. But something pretty interesting happened. And so I would like you to watch this 30-second video of what happened that day with that little Russian boy. There is no audio, by the way. So he's using a leverage there to get the sheep out. Sheep is free, frolicking free, and boof. <laughs> right back in the same predicament he was in before. <laughs> And so this Russian mom on her Instagram account, she posted this. It went viral. And a couple days later, she posted another picture of the sheep, perfectly fine, healthy, not limping. And it finally went on its way. In fact, it was almost a third time that that sheep went right back into that ditch. So they finally got it back out to where it needed to be in the pasture and saved it. Now, this is hilarious. You think somebody going right back to the same predicament that they were in is so sad. But you know, in the scriptures in Proverbs 26, 11, it says, like a dog that returns to its vomit is like the believer who returns to its folly. You know, and we know that as believers, we go through all kinds of things, you know, dry spells, uh, empty times in our faith, difficulty, moments where we feel stuck, moments where we feel lost, moments sometimes when we feel hopeless. And we need to once again regain what God has spoken over our hearts and we have moments in our walk and in our faith where we struggle, but I'm so grateful that we can rely on a loving father that delights in the prosperity of his servants, that loves to be the deliverer. And in fact, in Psalm 18, 2, it says, the Lord God is my rock. The Lord is my fortress, my strong tower. He is my deliverer. And today we're continuing our series called Wrecked by Love. It's a small teaching series uh, on a book I wrote a few years ago. I'm taking the general concepts, and the last couple weeks, we have talked about the incredible need of encountering the Father. We know how to encounter Jesus. We know how to encounter the Holy Spirit. We're Pentecostal now. But the Father seems to be this ignored aspect of the Trinity. 
So we looked about the importance of encountering specifically the Father in the Trinity with the Father's type love and a love that we can only get from Father God. Then last week, we looked at the power of understanding that we are children of God. Now, this is such an elementary thing. It's so easy to just, you know, skirt under the rug. But knowing, not just knowing intellectually, but knowing on a heart level that we are dearly loved children of God that God wants to use is an incredible breakthrough in our lives. So we looked last week at embracing our identity, that how we can be so much more used by God if we fully understand who we are. And isn't it amazing how much confidence, how much strength, how much guidance, how much wisdom comes when we are firm in who we are as believers, as a new creation, as children who have all of heaven backing us up. And so now we're switching gears as we've talked about the Father's love, we've talked about embracing our identity. Now I wanna talk about exiting our past. So today's sermon is titled Exiting Our Past because not only can a lack of full understanding of our identity prevent us from accomplishing what God wants us to on this planet, but being stuck in our past or going back to our past over and over again, like we saw with this poor little sheep, is a blockage to what God wants to do and to free us in our lives. So we know in the scriptures that if we are a believer, if we are a, a, have accepted Jesus, that the old is gone and the new has come, the Bible actually says that we have died to our old man. We are not the old person we once were. We were not the sinner on the way to hell. We were not the one lost in our transgressions, but Jesus came and became our savior and our deliverer. So we have a hope and we have a future, but we have died to that old man. So there's no reason why we need to be dragging the corpse of our old spiritual body around and bearing that weight and that burden. We have been freed from it all and our past should be done with and hidden in Christ. But it may take a little bit of work. But what I love is that God has provided not only the tools, not only the favor, but he has the desire to see us walk in freedom so that we can be united with him and so that we can walk in his will. In Galatians 5.1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ set us free so that we wouldn't be in bondage again into the yoke of slavery. God wants us to be completely free and it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And today I want to talk about a few things that are going to help us to fully exit our past, whether that means we keep dwelling on things from the past or there was a wound we had that hadn't been healed or an offense and an unforgiveness that we let fester and and become bitter because of. We need to let these things be done with so that we can be all for God and let him use us. Now there's a scripture. um, I'll turn to it. You can if you want. It's not our main scripture today, uh, just three verses found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Deuteronomy is a fantastic book. It, it was a book, I believe, that Jesus quoted most often in the Gospels. But in chapter 6, we're, we're talking about what the, the older generation is trying to teach the younger to keep your eyes on Jesus and to remember all that he has done. Remember everything that God has done for them for all the generations to come. So I'm going to read chapter 6, verse 20 to 23, starting in verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come saying, what do these testimonies and statutes and judgments mean? And the Lord our God commanded you. Then they shall say to your son, you were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt 
Pharaoh and all his household. And here's, here's the key here. This is the thrust of the entire sermon this morning. Verse 23, he brought us out from in order to bring us in to, to give us a land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God. And it goes on from there. And I love verse 23 so much. The Lord brought us out from in order for the purpose of to bring us into. And I think as believers, we stop short so many times because we trust God to bring us out from, but then we stay and we don't allow us, allow him to bring us into. You know, it's, it's in the same way that we raise our children to be godly, productive citizens in our society. You know, my wife would love if Gabriel got married and never left the home. Just grandbabies everywhere, take all the space you want, we'll babysit, but I raise my son to grow up, to learn, and to get out. <laughs> you can buy a house next door. I'll visit you every day. But the purpose is to train you, raise you up, send you out, right? I don't care that's at 30, 40, 50, but raise you up and send you out. And in the same way, God has a, a people group and, and a generation of believers that he wants to raise up to send out. The problem is we're not going out. And with the Hebrews, what their problem was is that God with signs and wonders and miracles brought them out of their bondage and slavery, but then they got into the wilderness and they had no vision for the promised land. They only had a vision for what was in front of them. So they complained and they grumbled and they had this comparing spirit that even though we were enslaved, I, I can't believe the Bible actually says this, but it says in Egypt, we had melons and cucumbers and all the delights we wanted but you were a slave being beaten and worked to death. But they had this spirit of complaining and it prevented them from going on to the promised land. So that first generation of people that God had called out ended up passing away in the wilderness because they had no vision for where God wanted to take them. I'm telling you one thing that is standing in the way of not only your destiny, not only your calling, and not only the very specific thing that the God wants to will for your life on earth, the only thing that is stopping you is you. If we have access to the creator of the universe, if we have all of heaven backing us up, if we are filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave, then literally, not even the devil, he's been defeated and made powerless. The only thing that can stop us is us in our heart of complaining, our heart of grumbling and our comparing spirit. But God is so faithful that in our crummy weaknesses as human beings, and our rotten little tempers, and, and our complaining, he's a big God, and boy, can he take it. And so in his mercy and his grace, he wants to lead us away from our past and into our calling. So our main scripture here uh, this morning is going to be found in the book of Exodus, chapter 3. If you have a Bible, go ahead and go there with me. Exodus, right after Genesis, a very famous story of Moses in the burning bush. And in light of the series Wrecked by Love, I want us to read this story, this encounter with Moses and God, really a theophany of Jesus, this fireman in the burning bush. I want us to view it with the eyes of identity and of the father wanting relationship and destiny in our hearts. So we're going to read about uh, 12 verses, maybe 10 verses here, beginning in verse 2 of, of Exodus chapter 3. Verse two, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, 
the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. I think it's very and critical to understand that Moses could have walked right by this fire. He could have easily said, wow, that's cool, and kept on going. How many times in our life do we get a nudge from the Holy Spirit that says, oh, wow, that's cool, and we just go on to the next distraction rather than pausing and looking? It actually says that he turned to look. That means you have dropped one set of affections and placed those affections on another. You have turned your attention from one thing to another. And God took notice, because look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Because again, God has no fellowship with evil. And at that dispensation, at that time, old covenant, if you had sin and you looked at God, you can drop dead. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Ooh, be convinced that God is always watching. Not like Santa Claus, okay? He's always watching your need, your hurt, your cries, your joy. He's always watching. And so I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am unaware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Parasites, all that stuff. And verse 9, Now behold, the cry of my sons Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, therefore, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh. Hold up, hold up. I, I bet Moses had this, uh, time out, God, hold on, hold on. Uh, it, it, didn't you just say, I think we have the records here. Didn't you say, I have come down to deliver them? God, you said, I will come down to deliver them. But now you're saying you will go to Pharaoh? Don't understand that. You ever, you ever say, God, would you just help them? God, would you bless them? God, would you just deliver them? God, would you cast that demon out of my coworker? God, would you just, and he goes, oh, I absolutely will. Walk on over there. Ooh. <laughs> Therefore, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And here's the critical part. Here's where Moses shut down. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to you. That is, I who have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Moses had this moment. He goes, who, who am I? I'm in hiding. At this point, Moses had spent 40 years being trained in Egypt. Now he spent 40 years in the wilderness hiding like a little scaredy cat. And God was about to usher him into the last 40 years of his life to be a deliverer of God's people. But in this moment, he had this crossroads where he said, but who am I? Well, Moses, you are a child of the son of God. You are, you are loved by the father. You have been filled with not only all the things of heaven, but you have been given a commission from God's mouth himself. But he questioned, who am I? And we still do. Though we have all that God has given to us, we still question who we are. But look how God responds. Let's scroll down to uh, chapter four. Read two more verses here, verses one and two. 
Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to me and what I have to say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Why is that important? And we know that later he throws the staff down, it turns into a snake, he brings it back up, puts his hand in, it's leprous, puts it back in, it's not anymore. God shows him miracles. But the reason that question, what is in your hand, was so vital is because it was going to help Moses to realize who he was. Because that staff symbolized so much. It symbolized his influence. He was a shepherd. Even though he was despised by the Egyptians, he was a shepherd in which God was training him how to shepherd people. That staff was his income. That's how he made his money. That's how he got by. That staff was his impact. So God is saying, you're questioning who you are. I am with you. Even if you are the the worst person on planet earth, you love me, I am with you. But what have I given you? What's in your hand? What can you use right now? What can you move forward with? What is in your hand? And so for the Christian today, we we can't risk doubting who we are in God's eyes. We are beloved children. But at the same time, we need to leave our past behind so that we can fully receive from God where he's leading us with confidence, with boldness, and say, I have God who says, I will be with you. And then God gave me this skill, this talent, this ability. So I'm going to pair these two things up and I'm going to run with it. So God has given us that. But here are two questions I have for you, and they're in your bulletin if you want to fill them out this morning. Two quick questions that I pray challenge you this morning. The first is, What does God want to lead you into? What does God want to leave you into? And again, God is so faithful to help us leave our past, leave our fear, to leave these things behind. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. Not some, not a couple, all of them. How would you feel if you woke up tomorrow morning and you trusted God enough to say he would deliver you from all your fears? How would you respond? How would you react? How would you go about your day if fear wasn't in your heart at all? Do we believe the Bible? Psalm 34, he delivered me from all my fears. But I love even in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33, it says that by listening to the Lord, it said that he will even remove the dread of evil. So not only God can take away the fears that are in your heart that are making you hesitate and keeping you back and and staying in the wilderness, circling around and around, but God can also remove the actual dread of what could be. Some of us aren't even afraid of what's a reality. Some of us are afraid of what could be. And God wants to remove all of that from you so that you can be free to look to him and free to follow him. And see, more than what God wants to do in getting you out of your past and getting you out of the red, God wants to bring you into the black and beyond. See, God's purpose is not just to save you and deliver you from what the enemy was tormenting you with and just leave you there like, I'm, I'm neutral, I'm good. I'm not bad, I'm not good, but I might. <laughs> he wants to get you out from in order to bring you into. God wants to lead you. He just doesn't want to heal your past. He wants to position you to follow him and his will. You know, many of us here, I believe, maybe not, would love to win the lottery one day. To think, you know, um, money can answer a whole lot of problems. Money can cause a lot of problems. But I did some research and found some statistics that said that over a third of lotto winners end up going bankrupt by the second year they've won their winnings. It's incredible. And there's a TV show, I think, out there now. I've never seen it. But a TV show said they show how the lottery ruined people's lives. 
And there's actually one Texan about 20 years ago named Billy Bob. Billy Bob Harrell won $13 million in the Texas lottery. He chose not to get the one lump sum, but to get the $1.2 million a year until it was fully paid after taxes and all that. So every year he would get his $1.2 million, and they called him uh, Santa Billy Bob because he uh, bought over 500 turkeys for families who had no Thanksgiving. Uh, he donated to his church. He donated to various charities and all these type of things. Uh, I mean, he carried around $500,000 in cash in his car at all times to hand out. Um, and so awesome. You know, you've been given millions. You bless your church. You bless your family. You bless the community. But then he ended up filing for divorce. And soon after, only two years after he won all those millions, he ended up taking his own life. And, and we don't know the, the reasons behind that. His son walked in and found him in that position. But, I mean, he had all that money. He had everything going for him. He was being used. He was a believer. And yet he just squandered it all and decided somehow, some way, it wasn't worth living. Now, we may not have a physical lottery, but we have a spiritual lottery. When Ephesians 1.3 says, we have been blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. We have the fullness of God dwelling inside of us. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We have a spiritual lottery, but so many of us are not spending it. Not only that, so many of us are fearful of how God wants to use us with those spiritual blessings for his good. And so we hesitate and slowly on the inside, we just start dying away. And God's goal is to lead us out and then to bring us into our calling, but our unwillingness can get in the way. And that's why I asked so many times, what is God leading you into? What is the vision? Because Moses said, who am I? You can't use me. He already made a vision that says, I'm not good enough. Therefore, God, you can't use me. Therefore, I can't see it. But when you have good relationship, you have a good, clear vision. And when you have a vision, you now have the boldness to step forward and to go forward. And I say this all the time. Uh, I'm sorry, not sorry, because the more I repeat, the more you'll remember it. It's just a quote that God gave me years ago. It says, we are so afraid of the uncharted territories of the promised land that we self-sabotage ourselves back to the familiar grounds of the wilderness. We're so afraid of victory, so afraid of actually being free from what's been tormenting us, that we're so afraid of not knowing what to do or how to handle that or the newfound accountability of being free. Hello, a prisoner gets out of prison and he's free. He's got to get a job, got to buy his own groceries. He doesn't have a bed to sleep on unless he provides for it. Freedom means you have responsibility now. And so some of us are so afraid of that victory. I don't know, but you know what? I like neutral. I'm not a slave. I don't have new responsibility. So I'll just keep cruising around right here, doing just barely enough that God is with me. I can see a woo, pillar of fire and smoke. That's awesome. This bread is getting pretty old, but you know what? It's feeding me. And in the same place, decade after decade, we find ourselves going around in the same deal. And I just, I implore you, I urge you, I challenge you, don't have enough faith to just get out of your sin and bondage, but not enough vision to get into your calling. Don't be in a place where, God, I have enough faith for you just to get me to where I'm not suffering, but not enough to follow you. God has called us more. I mean, Getting free from your past is day one as a Christian. But some of us can continue in the wilderness if we don't trust God enough. We have to have that type of faith. Don't just beg for freedom. Partner with God for a vision. Will you dream with God? Will you ask God, where are you leading me? What do you want me to do? And that could be as simple as being there at dialysis, blessing patients. That could be your next door neighbor, your coworker. 
That could be at a pulpit. That could be on a mission field. God, where are you leading me into? I want to partner with you, and I want no fear to hold me back. So what is God leading you into? And the last question is, what do you need to give up? What do you need to give up? There's an old preacher story about uh, hunters that would catch monkeys in the jungle. You probably heard this before, but these hunters wouldn't uh, do bows and arrows or hunting rifles and, and stay up in a deer blind and wait for the perfect opportunity for a clear shot. They would take a coconut, and they would bolt a chain to that coconut with a spike, drive it into the ground. They would drill a hole, empty out that coconut, fill it a third of the way with rice, with candy, and with candy wrappers. You think, why candy wrappers? Well, when I was on a missions trip at Nicaragua, uh, we went onto this large, um, uh, what is it, freshwater lake. So I think it's one of the largest freshwater lakes in the world. And a volcano had erupted years ago, and it launched lava into the, the water near the shore, and it created over 300 mini islands in this lake. So people build houses on them. It's pretty cool. But one of those islands is inhabited by monkeys. So we're on a boat, and a pastor is leading us around, just giving us a little tour of his neighborhood. And we get to the monkey island. And so he opens up a Twix. You know, Twix has two. He pulls out a chocolate and gives it to the monkey who's dangling at a branch with a little baby on its back. The monkey wants nothing to do with that chocolate. So the pastor said, watch this. Put it back in the wrapper, which was open, gave it with the wrapper. The monkey took it just like that because it's shiny and the wrapper, you know, there's something about that that just leads astray. So they put the rice, the candy, the smell, the sound of the rice, and then the wrapper, the, the blinginess of it. And the monkey would go to this coconut, smack it around, get interested, and that hole was just big enough for the monkey to put its hand through, but not big enough for it to pull a fist out. And the only way it would have a fist is if it had that candy or that rice or that wrapper, and it refused to let go of it. The sad thing is they wouldn't let go, and they were trying to get, all they had to do was let it go to be free, but they wouldn't. Even when the poachers, the hunters, the killers came, they still held on to it till their dying breath. And I think how much more for believers that there's, there's this opportunity God has to lead us into so much bigger than we can even hope for or imagine. Yet there's things that we hold on to because they're comfortable. As bad as fear is, it's comfortable. As bad as unforgiveness is, it's comfortable. As bad as whatever is holding you back from your past, it's comfortable. It's holding you back from what God wants to do in your life. I believe that the two biggest things that, aside from not knowing our sonship, our daughtership and the father, the two biggest things are fear and unforgiveness. And I could preach on fear for a whole year. I mean, there's 365 promises about being free from fear alone, one for every day. I could preach a whole year on it. And unforgiveness, oh, we could take time unpacking unforgiveness. And we don't have the time today to talk about those things. But those are some examples of what we can hold on to that are keeping us back. Isaiah 41.10, it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Neither be afraid, for I am your God. And don't you love how this removal of fear is partnered with relationship? And Wednesday night, we're starting this series of relationships. And I, I mentioned that our DNA is relationship. God created us for the purpose of having intimate relationship with us. The whole reason you and I are alive and breathing is for relationship and intimacy with God. That's the whole reason we're here. And to get as many souls with us to be with him forever and eternity and the way he established it from the beginning, but got ruined by Adam and Eve. So we're alive for relationship. 
And when you are alive in relationship with God, fear goes out the window because God is with us. Fear can, can't stand. And isn't it true that if your relationships are good, you feel like Superman? But if your relationships are bad, you feel so crummy. And it's so much easier for distraction and doubt and other things to just ruin you. We are made for relationship and fear cannot have a place when there's relationship. And I, I just feel, I concur with the many uh, who have been speaking today about the dormant church that can't stay dormant. As we sang in the, in the worship songs here this morning about coming awake in the city. I've been listening to this song over and over again. A friend of mine, I went through youth group uh, when I was 15 years old. His name is Andrew Hopkins. He now has a ministry called uh, uh, Breaker Ministries. God is the breakthrough. He's the God of the breakthrough. He's a worship leader, and he has this song uh, called uh, Awake. And the lyrics, they say, awake, awake, city come awake. And the tagline, uh, he's, he's singing about, Oh, oh, awaken the saints. Oh, oh, save all the lost. Revival is in this place. But he, I remember one time when I had him as a guest worship leader in a room of about 400 people and him and another friend of mine, they're belting this song out like it's a declaration to the city, like a pleading to the city, come awake. Will you not be asleep any longer? I mean, if 80% of this, this country says it's a Christian, then why aren't we seeing revival? And revival's not just so we're all happy-go-lucky and everything's dandy-doodle, you know, it's all wonderful. Revival is waking up the spiritually dead. Revival is, is bringing the lost who are on their way to hell, much like that terrorist who was taken out yesterday, to take those lost people and to reveal to them who they are and to bring them back into the embrace of the Father. But where is the urgency in the church? I, I read the story of, of a single mom of four babies, right, 12, 8, 6, and, and 9 months old, and the house caught on fire while she was outside. She ran into this house and saved all four of her babies, suffering second and third degree burns to her entire body. Every single parent in this room would do the exact same thing without hesitation. But where is that fervency? Where is that heart? Where is that burning? Where is that desire for the church? Are we gonna stay in the wilderness? Are you happy decade after decade after decade just wandering, wandering, it's not bad. It's not good. I still know the Lord, but I'm telling you, we were, we were made for relationship and we were made to follow God in his will, specifically for the purpose he put in our heart to bring souls back to him. Awaken church, awaken. And when the church can awaken, when his people can awaken, we can see God finally do some mighty things, not only in our nation, because as go America, so goes the rest of this world. And so that's my prayer today. It's my challenge to us on an individual level, but it's my prayer today, wake, awaken to the church. So Father, we thank you. Thank you, God, for your goodness, for your power. Thank you that you're not a God of rules and regulations. You're a God who has said, we are a family. I am your father. You are my child. I have given you all that you need and be on, and I've empowered you in my Holy Spirit to follow me, to follow my will, and to allow me to use you in and through you for my glory. Thank you, Father, for what we are learning about your goodness and your love for us. Thank you that we are becoming more awake to that we are children of God who are loved and provided for. But God, we have this crossroads now where we can say, I, I believe, I see, I, I understand, but I'm afraid. 
And I don't know, God, if I can take the next step. I don't know if I can jump off that diving board. I don't know if, if I can take the risk. I don't know if my heart is ready. I don't know if I'm emotionally stable enough. But we look to your word and we see, God, the truth that we are filled of the Holy Spirit, promise, favor, and love from you, given all that we need and above to carry out your will. So, Father, I speak a supernatural boldness and faith in the hearts of the hearers today. God, I speak a fervor, a, 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 a burning. I pray, God, just an unrest in our soul in a good way that we want more. Reveal that to us, God. Disturb our dreams in this next week. Fill us with ideas. Bring creativity to our soul. Bring opportunities. Give us those split-second decisions where we just say, okay, I'm going to go forward with this and to watch you move. In the same way that you use signs and wonders and miracles to lead your people out of Egypt, God, you want to do a miracle in every heart here today to lead us into the calling that you have destined for us. So thank you, God, for the blessing that's upon Southgate Fellowship, and thank you for the need of our city, and thank you that you are empowering champions here to carry out your will so that we can see your goodness, your love be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. Now, as we go about in this new week, God, thank you that your favor, your joy, your power, and all that we need from you is upon us. May we lead this place in your joy. May we tackle this week with confidence and with peace and with the truth that we have in you. Lead us now. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.